Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with my friend and trusted producer who is on the road with his band, Arkells, touring right now, Max Kerman. Max, where are you in the world? We are in Nashville, Tennessee, in all places. Exciting. We are also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, where are you right now? Toronto. <laughs> Not nearly as exciting as Nashville. No. Max, how long have you been are on the road? Are you, guys aren't, you guys aren't together right now? We are together, yeah. I just thought I'd ask. That so. was a funny, uh, Max. Yeah, Max. Oh, sorry. Guys, before we get down to business, today on the show, we have actress Judy Greer, also director and author, uh, oh, wow. which we will get into in a bit. You guys know her from a ton of stuff. Uh, most recently, she is starring in the show Kidding with Jim Carrey. It is on the movie network here in Canada. Uh, it's actually a double whammy when it comes to our guests today because we are also talking to the creator of the show Kidding, uh, Dave Holstein. So uh, we talked to them in a bit. They were in town. I, I loved these conversations. Um, we will set those up uh soon but before that guys what's been going on max you were on the road tell us what's stop, been stop, Mike, stop this stop this stop this stop this episode has nothing to do with me this episode <laughs> has to do with you and your life and your wife uh, and your baby oh yeah. man yeah i had a kid because we haven't talked to each other at all because i wanted to save it for the podcast because i know you had a baby within the last week or so and I resisted asking really any information about it, about how it all went, just because I want to talk to you about it, you know, in front of our listeners. It's funny. I completely forgot that it wasn't out there in the world yet. <laughs> so you're like playing it cool because you and i both know we've already talked about it we yeah. have yeah so it's so it's funny max you say that because yeah you and i specifically were like let's save it for the pod so we didn't get into any sort of details and shane and i actually have kind of been avoiding anything about the story we saw each other briefly because we were, we were doing stuff for the crave show uh the other evening and we talked a bit but yeah the, the listeners who don't know uh, had a baby uh, girl her name is winona and it's 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 awesome man but it was it was wild it was a trip it was kind of exactly uh i don't know it was like out of a movie. Um, I don't know. You guys want me to like walk you through it? Yeah. What do you say, sir? That we were way overdue. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were nine days overdue, and we were definitely getting to the point where we were like, "Is this baby going to come? Is there something wrong?" You know, all of those feelings you had because we'd been pretty cool all the way up to we're like, "Oh, we're trusting the process, and it's the most natural thing in the world," et cetera, et cetera. But then once we started to get into like three days, four days, five days, even though everybody was like, it's completely normal, especially for the first baby, we were just like, I don't know, the more it went, the more sort of weight we felt um, figuratively and probably literally for Danica. But people are asking you too, like, oh, is the baby here yet? And so that lends itself to its own kind of brand of anxiety. So on the Tuesday, I came into work and we, we did work and we'd gone to the midwife that day and they were like, hey, it will happen when it happens. We're like, okay, cool. And I go home and Danica's just sitting on the bed and she's in a terrible mood. She's like, I don't know when this baby's going to come. Is it going to be this weekend? Is it going to be in a couple of days that we're going to have to like induce, you know, just kind of in a, in a rough mood. And I was like, okay, well, we need to get your mind off this. It's got to be so uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, well, let's just like settle in and watch a movie. She's like, okay. She's like, I can watch a comedy or something. I'm like, all right. So I start going through movies. I'm like, hey, you've never seen La La Land. And she was like, okay, let's watch La La Land. So we like do some dinner. We sit down and we start La La Land. We're on the couch. And it opens with that scene on the highway where they're like, just another day in sunny LA. And I swear to God, like 45 seconds into that song, she just stands up from the couch. She goes, oh, something's coming out. And then she, she runs to the bathroom. And I'm like, are you okay? And she goes, my water broke. And then uh, jokingly, I was like, but I wanted to finish La La Land. And, oh, my uh, God. So then like... I, I'm like, okay, this is happening. And then the contraction started happening. When, wait, okay, so when water comes out, yeah. is that a, like a literal thing when they say my water broke? Does water go on the floor and stuff? Yeah. 
Whoa. Yeah, because what's happening is that the the amniotic, uh, the sac where the baby's living, basically mm-hmm. the water breaking is the fluid coming out of the sac mm-hmm. and then the, the sac contracts and the baby gets ready to come into the world, right? How big of a mess is it? It's like a pretty, <laughs> it's like a pretty consistent like yep. uh, leak, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, a, like a pee your pants type thing? It can be. But you don't clean it. You're just like, let's go. No. So here's the thing. It's like once the water breaks, you have these contractions and then you start timing your contractions. So what you do is you like page the midwife. You go, it's happening. We contacted our doula. We have a doula for those who don't know what a doula is it's like a, a like a support person that like helps you through labor that sort of explains all these things before you get there so that you're comfortable when you get there so we're at the apartment and danica is going through contractions and we're timing it on an app and they're slowly getting more and more intense and so we talk to the midwife and the midwife's like yeah um okay well it's she was great by the way but she was like you know what they don't sound too intense right now so call me back in an hour we're like, okay, like we're trusting the process, right? But in that hour, they got so damn intense. And I don't know if it's because the baby was late or what, or it was just going to happen quickly. Basically, the, the, the doula and the midwife were on their way to her apartment. But because Danica was like, like a champ, like just like breathing through these contractions, I was like, fuck this. I'm pulling the chute. We're going to the hospital now. So I contacted them both. I texted them both, the doula and the midwife. I'm like, we're, going, we're leaving. We're going to the hospital. Meet us there. They're like, okay. So like a movie, we run out of our apartment with our like pregnancy bag. We get into the elevator. I hit the button. And just as the elevator is like three quarters shut... It then opens again. Oh, no. And a guy gets in. It's Bill like, Hader. It's, no. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of your work, Bill. So this guy gets in the elevator... And, and he, he, like, he walks in and Danica's in like this giant sweater and like, um, jogging pants and she just looks at him and she's sweaty and she goes, I'm in labor. Get out. <laughs> yeah, get out. I'm in labor. And the guy goes, the guy goes, oh, oh, well, okay. And then we just awkwardly go down the <laughs> oh elevator while Danica's like, <sighs> and me and this stranger in the elevator, we, we leave the elevator, we go, we get in the car, I'm driving to the hospital and like every four minutes she's having contractions. Like, so, but she's also like telling me how to drive. Where she's like, you need to go faster. And then she'd be like, and then like get through the contraction. We get to the hospital. Like the duel is there. The midwife's there. Um, I have to like sign Danica in. So then they like rush to the the, the room and I'm like, damn it. I'm like, I'm going to like miss the baby. So I hurry and then I go around and I park the car. Um, And then I like, I, I come back in. Um, to the room and the contractions are super intense and like the midwife and the doula are there and the midwife's like yes this is very intense and it's honestly like the pain that she was in was like a movie where she was like am I going to die at this because she's like (gasps) and this we're not even like pushing yet so like I'm there and I'm trying to be like supportive and anyway so that process went on for quite some bit and uh, like Danica was so bloody impressive i can't express like how much i was just like in awe of the fact that she was just going through this pain and this process and all of that stuff so finally when the time comes uh she you know she's pushing she's pushing that was this you know to for lack of a it might be the best word actually laborious process (laughs) where she like really sort of like you see the baby's head start to come out oh my god it felt very like um I don't know, like intimate, because it was honestly just like our midwife, a second midwife that we had, we just met for the first time, and then the doula and me. Like, that's it. And we're in this hospital room. Filming or no? Oh, yeah. I, I, I was filming. Well, I had like, I looked like a tourist because I had like a camera around my neck. And at one point, I thought <laughs> I, I thought it was going to go down, and then it wasn't. And then so I just left the camera hanging on my neck. But it was ridiculous. But in the best way, 
that being said, like she's like going through crazy pain, crazy, crazy pain. She did not take an epidural. It was insanity. And, and the baby uh, starts to come out and you don't know what you're thinking. And it's like this majestic thing. And then the baby comes out and then we saw her daughter and then she was holding our daughter. I, I never felt more in awe of Danica and the process that she went through. And, and like seeing the kid and her together was like this magical, magical thing. I couldn't believe it. So I, I'm, we're, we're doing it. She's relieved. I'm relieved. It's like all the joy you would imagine. I'm crying. We're like, oh my God, like look at her. They hand, I cut the umbilical cord. They hand me the baby. And then what happens is I guess throughout this whole thing, like, cause we're all distracted by the baby. The midwives are like managing the bleeding. Hmm. And so there was like, there was a lot of bleeding. And at first I wasn't completely aware of, of how much she was bleeding. And then I became very aware, but I didn't want Danica to feel what I was like concerned about. Yeah. And so they start saying like, okay. Uh, and you could tell there was an uneasiness sort of like starting to, to fill the room. And I can tell Danica starting to kind of feel not only uncomfortable because of what she went through, but she's starting to clue into like, okay, this is a lot of bleeding. So they eventually are like, we need to get the OB on call. The guy that's on call for the hospital mm-hmm. to come in here, but she's still fucking bleeding and I'm holding the baby. And I can tell Danica now is like, in a full on like, oh my God, because she's already doesn't like really hospitals for her, for, you know, other reasons. And if I was very calm, I was like, okay, I'm like, this is gonna be fine. We're in a hospital. But as time kept passing and the OB comes in and he looks and he's like, okay. And he kind of starts doing things and he's like, okay, okay, we're going to need fluids. We're going to, and then they start, then the room starts to fill up with other people, nurses uh, and all that. And I start to like really have these feel like I'm holding the baby. I'm holding my daughter. Danica's laid out on the bed and she won't stop bleeding and now she's starting to lose color and she's starting to not panic but like really feel like um she's like i can't feel my hands i can't uh. and, and so they put the the mask on her face and i'm standing there and I, my brain is like thinking oh my god like what is going on i'm in a movie i'm in mm-hmm. that movie where my fucking wife is gonna die and i'm gonna be le- like i'm in that movie and it's happening right now, and I don't know how to process. And I wanted to puke my guts out. I could, but I couldn't. I couldn't express any of that because I didn't want Danica to panic. Mm-hmm. So she has the mask on, and I'm just standing beside her with our daughter. And I'm like, "We're gonna be home with our kid. We're gonna be home." And I'm just, I'm trying desperately to fake my way through, like holding it together, because I'm like, "It's gonna be fine." I'm saying it. Yeah. I do not totally believe it because if you saw the scene, it looked like it was re- the blood was immense. The OB's like going to work like crazy. Anyway, uh, after about like five of the most like harrowing and intense minutes of my life, for sure, um, Danica was like, okay, okay, I can feel my hands again. And then the OB started to be calm. And they all said afterward they never were really concerned. But it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm pretty good at reading people. Where's the baby at this point? Where, where's the baby? In they my got- arms. In my arms. I'm just oh, hold- I'm wow. holding the baby the whole time, like just thinking, oh, my God, like, what, what's going to happen if this if this if this if they don't figure this out they have to figure this out mm-hmm. i'm not walking out of here without my wife like all of those cliches you hear about movies and like how people are like i'm not leaving without mm-hmm. my wife like i felt all of those it was this massive confluence of feelings and um and then once she started to kind of like slowly like if you think of like a plane crashing and then it slowly starts Stabilize, to come yeah. out of the dive that started to happen and then finally like after whatever like 20 minutes when they took the oxygen mask off and like they had a lot of fluids in her and it seemed like they got things under control. We didn't even really talk about it for a while because it was too traumatizing. Like I would say we didn't even fully talk about that time until we got home 
like maybe like two days after we got home, we finally sort of addressed how we felt in those moments, what was going through our brains, all of that, because I, it was such a traumatizing sort of thing for her to go through, um, more so than me. You know, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I know what went through her mind because we talked about it. But anyway, I, I did want to share that because <clears throat> it was such a, a fucking scary thing to go through. And I asked her, I was like, I'm going to talk about it. She's like, yeah, you, you can talk about it. But that wow, being said, geez. so how is she doing right now? She's good. So they, they made us stay in the hospital for 24 hours for observation just to like make sure her blood was all good. And the baby was like kick ass. Like the baby's rocking. The baby's like exactly what a perfectly healthy baby like I'm not going to would would be like she was like eight pounds 13 ounces like she was like yeah she came out she was rocking like she cried right away she was like just had a great temperament and all those things but Danica slowly recovered from the process Um, she's doing better but like I said man like I put on my Instagram that she's a superhero and that that honestly like doesn't even say enough like I couldn't like you think you love somebody and then it's like, I didn't think I could love her more, but it's like, it, it, it was just, um, it was the most sort of extraordinary thing to ever go through. And I know everybody says that about childbirth, but uh, anyway, we're happy to be here. And yeah, I've just been off for the last, this happened, it's almost like a week ago now that I've had a baby. Actually, the baby will be one week old uh, tonight at one fifty in the morning. So. so a week in, who do you love more, Danica or baby? <laughs> <laughs> um... It's oh high, my god! Probably, <laughs> it's, it's, I love them both. I do like more. Like it's not. It's not one another. It's just like I love our situation. Mm-hmm. It's going well, and we're hilariously like figuring it out. Like we're trading off. I've never changed a diaper before. I had a, my own baby, so now I'm changing diapers like crazy. I've gotten pretty damn good at it. Did, did did you get nervous? Like, did you have a nurse watch you do it? Your first one? Well, the the, the nurse goes, uh, or not the, the midwife goes. Do you want to change the first diaper? And I was like, eh, maybe you go for it. And I'll take. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch. I was like, yeah. I was like, like you, no. Yeah, I was like, you do it. I'll watch you, and then I'll do it when yeah. it's my turn. So without modern medicine, though, we would have been fucked. Oh my god! I think geez. if we, I, I mean, listen, people will. Here's the thing about giving having a baby. You make whatever choice is right for you. If you want to do midwife, great. If you want to do OB, great. If you have a family doctor, great. If you, ha- if you want to go do it at a birthing center, amazing. If you want to do it at home in your bathtub, great. If you want to go do it at a hospital, great. All I know is that for us, um, thank God we were in that hospital mm-hmm. and that OB was able to come in and take care of business because if she was... Bathtub birth, if you're out in the country being all hippie-esque, what do you do? Yeah. You're just fucked. Yeah, I don't know about those bathtub births. <laughs> People uh-huh. should do what they want. All I know is that for us, I can't. But have a ba- if you're going to do a bathtub thing, maybe be within earshot of a hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very thankful. So yeah, that's it, man. I have a, I have a kid. And it's a great name, by the way. I, I think that's my favorite name. Oh, Winona? Winona? Yeah. Oh. Well, that's what I was going to ask, because I know you didn't tell anybody. What, what was the, uh, the process on that? What's, what's the story behind Winona? Well, I guess that's a name that Danica has really liked mm-hmm. for a long time. So before we knew if we were having a boy or a girl, you do that thing where you have like your short list. And she had like boys names that i was like absolutely not like you veto certain names did you go through this chain where it's like you're like i'm not having that i will have that or were you guys oh alex wanted boris boris (laughs) for a boy like that's not even a joke she wanted boris so that was a a little bit of a fight (laughs) see i would never say the names that we didn't or did have on the list because i don't want to offend any listeners that might be named well it's just boris seems so like (laughs) specific to a certain type of the country where you're from like that's a russian thing yes yes (laughs) jamal would be another weird one like you know like 
Jamal's a great name. It would be weird yeah. if my son was named Jamal. If you do have a son in the future, it would be awesome if his name was Boris Jamal Cunningham. <laughs> it would be hilarious for comedic purposes. Yeah. It would be amazing. I'd be in the paper. It'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd be in the paper. <laughs> so, like, yeah, uh, I had some names that I kind of dug for a guy and a girl, um, but ultimately it, it was her name, and I loved it. And I was like, this is such a great name. I was like, let's go for it. So we held on to it. Alex and I were like, how do you do the short form of that? Because yeah. my our daughter's name's Lucy. We call her Lou. I was like, uh, we? <laughs> Nona. I was like, Nona, yeah. <laughs> and then win is so obvious. But no, my wife and I couldn't think of the short form. But that's such an obvious short form. What people we found have been doing is they were saying Winona, like Wyoming, or like mm-hmm. Winona Judd. But it's Winona, Winona. like Winona Ryder. So, of course. So it's, it's a cool one. So we call her Win or Winnie. Um, but yeah, so that's why most people couldn't really figure out, like, do we call her wine or do we, you know? Yeah. I think it's the perfect level of weirdness. It's not too weird, yeah. but it's not normal either. It's cool. It's classic. It, it's the perfect uh, name, I think. I, my, Danica deserves all credit for yeah. the name. I give her all, all, full credit for everything, honestly. Like, honestly, I, 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 I had sex. And now I have a baby, and I didn't... Congrats on both. Thank you, man. It was pretty monumental for me. Uh, but, you know, she did everything, so all credit deserves... Uh, you just laid there. <laughs> I mean with the birth. Oh, okay. If we're being honest. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's it. So, I mean, that's that's my story. Uh, anything else? Guys, I mean, I yeah, guess that kind top of... that, Max. Monopolized the pod, but Max, you're on the road. How's it going, buddy? Uh, who cares? Uh, it does not matter. I like uh, that character no, Max adopted. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> no, everything's good, but uh, no, this opens all about Madonna and Danica and Mike, so... But, yeah, I, I, was, I just wanted to hear how it all went. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I know the story now. Yeah. I don't know. Should we, should we just... Yeah, let's get to an interview. And a little tease just for the dessert. Oh, my God, yes. So, Max, you don't know this, but we recorded the dessert without you. Oh, okay, cool. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of just on the phone listening to this, yeah. Um, but it, I will tell you this, Max. It also deals with crowning. Crowning? Like birth? Is that a birth thing? Well, you'll have to wait and see. So I literally have been at home uh, with this kid. I've just come in here to record this podcast tonight, and uh, I had no idea what Shane had planned for the dessert. And I was—I thought it was informative and great, and I think that's a great tease for anybody that's going to listen to the dessert. And that includes you, Max, when you, you listen to the full edit of this episode. Hey, guys. Well, I just want to say before we get to the rest of the episode, great job on the pedestal. I didn't listen to the Star Trek one. Uh, I don't know if I'm that interested, but <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. Uh, I like that one a lot. That oh. was awesome. John was very funny, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, obviously what Max is talking about for our listeners, if you did not listen last week to the Stephen Page episode, we launched uh, our brand new side project called The Pedestal, the the, the sort of spinoff of Mike on Much, where Shane, myself, and our great friend and decorated award-winning uh, writer, producer, director, Jonathan Popolis, uh, discuss all sorts Mensa of things. Mensa member, Mensa member. Mensa member. We have to bring up that he's a Mensa member. So like Max said, Dumb and Dumber is one of those films. We actually got a text from uh, Jules this morning, Shane and I, saying that he listened to the pod and he, uh, he thoroughly enjoyed it and was angry at my verdict. That's a tease. So go listen if you want to know my thoughts on Dumb and Dumber. Well, John was messaging me. He said someone contacted him and said they were laughing so hard at the Coming to America episode that they had to pull over their car, which... <laughs> Which I call bullshit anytime anyone says that. Like, has anyone ever pulled over their car to laugh? When, they, when they tell you that? I'd love to see that. 
But anyway, that's so the the the, uh, the criticisms have been uh, good. The reviews, or the reviews have been good. Yeah, no criticism. No, the reviews have been good. So th- yeah, so please listen to that. Uh, you can find that anywhere you find uh, podcasts. Uh, you can find the pedestal. Please check it out because uh, we loved doing it. And yeah, hopefully we do more. And we want to hear about it uh, uh, from you. So. At us at Mike on Much or anywhere. And it would be cool to do a live pod of, with a pedestal one. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And you can even come, Max. Yeah, Max, you want to come to that if we do a live <laughs> pedestal? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, today on the show, guys, we have actress Judy Greer, who will be first, and then she will be followed by Dave Holstein, who you will hear. Uh, Judy stars in the show Kidding, also starring Jim Carrey. Dave Holstein created the show Kidding. Also starring Jim Carrey. Um, so as you'll hear, I, I love sitting down with Judy Greer because she was super open, super cool. I, I feel like she's kind of like, there's not a lot of pretense about her. She's not like, sometimes you talk to actors or actresses and they can have a bit of like, a, oh, I'm in my PR moment. She's pretty real. And she just kind of like says what's on her mind. Um, we cover all sorts of things, uh, her career, her upbringing, uh, kidding, obviously. And she directed a film called A Happening of Monumental Proportions. It stars Jennifer Garner, stars Common, Keanu Reeves, Katie Holmes is in there. She wow. basically called in every favor she's so well liked i guess in the hollywood community that when she decided to direct a film everybody just showed up to be in this movie Mm. first so we talk a bit about that uh we also mentioned her book uh i don't know what you know me from and then after her we get to the creator of kidding uh dave holstein again i love this conversation because this is a guy who kind of worked his way uh through like basically as you'll hear he had to like kind of work his way into the writer's room at weeds you know, he started... Oh, yeah, I like that show. Yeah, and then uh, he, like, he'd done playwriting in New York City. He basically walks you through his journey to the part where he becomes like a staff writer on a television show, and then eventually how he created Kidding and got Jim Carrey to be on it, because he wrote an episode of I'm Dying Up Here. And so oh, then wow. he kind of, you basically get to see the map of how Jim Carrey becomes involved in Kidding, and for a guy like Dave, that was like a dream to have him star in the show Kidding, which if you don't know what that show is, um, it's like a Mr. Rogers type character going through like a, a massive personal breakdown. And well, Michelle Gondry directs the, these, uh, the series. That's right. Absolutely. Amazing. So she's worked with Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones. She's all, yeah. Man. Yeah. Not too many actors can say that. Her, like, yeah, Six Degrees of Judy Greer would be uh, pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Guys. Do you want to get to Judy Greer and Dave Holstein? Hell yeah. Let's get to it. We're going to just roll on this. Yeah, let's do it. Get going. How are you? Great. I'm excited to talk to you. Does anyone ever say they're not great? No, but that would actually be the most interesting start to a conversation I've ever had. Yeah. If you're just like, no, it's terrible. No, I'm in a really bad mood. I'm really <laughs> tired. No, but, I mean, I am great, but I just wish now that I wasn't so I know. great. So we that I could so have been deeper. more interested. If you're like, I'm in a bad place right now. Oh, my God. You know. <laughs> <laughs> my dog is lost. She's not, by the way. That's good. <laughs> She's not. How long have you had your dog? Mm, three years. What's your dog's Almost name? Almost Mary Richards. She's really little and cute. and She bites people. Oh. Mm. Is that like, are you trying to shake that habit or oh, kind of a yeah. yeah. No, I love that she bites people. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's really great. It yeah. keeps my lawyer on his toes. Um, now, of course, we're trying to shake it, but I don't know. I don't know with these terriers. I grew up with a West Highland Terrier named Cairo. Oh, that's a cool name for a dog. We had to put him down. My dad said we sent him to a farm in Calgary. I believed it, but my brother, who was younger than me, was like, you're, you're an idiot. But anyway. Really? This was years ago. I'm over it now. I got cats now, you know. Oh, yeah. Less work. Still have to be put down eventually, though. 
Probably. I don't like to think about that. Just saying. Yeah. I started this interview great. Now I'm in a bad place. All right. You're welcome. Uh, So like I said, I watched your movie last night. Oh, good. Thank you. It was great. Oh, Uh, thanks. I I thought Keanu Reeves was hilarious. I know. Like he's really kind of, he just blazes in there for sort of a moment. I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about. I know it comes out on the 21st, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. So we'll go back because you've also written a book uh, back in like 2014. Yes. And I wanted to start there because in that book you have like a lot of... um, it seems humility about the idea that it's like, oh, I've sort of co-starred in films and sort of like the trajectory of your career. Yeah. My question is, where does your sensibility come from when it comes to that? Your sort of like sort of resiliency and sort of sensibility and being sort of self-aware. Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to be that way when you're in the arts. Yeah. Well, um, I guess I'm a very honest person. So it's like, I don't, I know I'm not a movie star because if I was, I would have like 17 more people here with me. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. It just comes from maybe just being honest and, like, not... I wouldn't say I had, like, low expectations because I didn't. I just have always been very thrilled at each new success that I've had, Hmm. you know? And, like, um, and if you can't be grateful for what you have, then, I don't know, what's the point of even doing it at all, you know? I do. Are you a naturally ambitious person? Uh, I think my friends and husband would say that I am, but I don't really feel that way. I feel naturally tired all the time, Um, but I'm always like, yeah, I guess I'm busy and ambitious. My manager is very ambitious. That's good. Good trait in a manager. (laughs) And so, I know, and so, um, but, you know, I get a lot of cool opportunities, and it's like, how can I say no to something that, like, might change me for the better or be a real learning experience or it's like someone involved in the project is someone I'm fascinated by or would like to get to know. So it just seems really hard. I've never been super great at like self care or being like, I need to start like being a little less busy because I uh, am tired. It's taking a toll. I don't know if it is, but I don't want it to, but I don't think of it that way. Like I don't, I think, like, I just don't, I just want to, you know, I also, like, hate going to bed at night because I just don't want to miss out on, like, like, what could possibly, you know, in the next hour, like, well, I could read my book a little bit more, I could watch this documentary I really wanted to watch, like, last night, I just forced myself to go to bed at 10 p.m., and I slept for 10 hours. (laughs) I've never, I can't even remember if that's ever happened to me, but I must have just been so tired. Because trust, the bed is not that comfortable in my hotel room, and I am not going to say where I'm staying. Um, It is not a Hilton property, I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) They got to set you up with a better spot. They do. Honestly. I guess like I think that acting is such an unconventional career and it's such a hard one to be successful at and to work steady. Yeah. yeah. Did your did you have the support of your family when you decided to go into this sort of career because I could see people being like get a conventional job or are you quite sure you want to do that? Yeah, my parents said that. that that's what they said to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they still do. Come on. Not in like a mean way, just like, you know, when you have time off, like you can always go to grad school online. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And then I find myself Googling it and I'm like, oh, Harvard does have a grad school. I could take <laughs> um, but uh, no, they well, like I don't I don't want to p- paint them in a bad light. They were never not supportive. They were always just like, you should go to grad school. You should. My mom was always like, you should get your manicurist license. I'm like, why? Like that also is really like hustle business. Like. Unless you're, I don't know, that's another story. But like, yeah, she would always, my parents have always just been like, you need a backup plan, but even kind of still. 
Um, that being said, they're not, they're, they are very supportive of my career and very happy for me, but I don't think, you know, when you're like middle-class Midwestern people, like you don't think your kid's going to grow up and, and what are the chances that I even work as much as I do? I mean, like how many people try to be actors? Oh, I know. Well, and this is the thing though, but you have tangible success it's it's actually visible you know what i mean so i know i live inside of it i own a house like i (laughs) made the money acting to buy a house in la like that is i'm always like mom yeah you're doing the damn thing i own a house yeah come on are do you still i mean at this point are you still like i don't know they always say actors are always kind of what's the next job and what's the next job do you still find yourself thinking that or do you have like a a level of security no really well I'm waiting on two things and I don't have a for sure on either of them. And I'm like, great. That's it. That was a good run. I did really well. I can start living off of my husband's paycheck from now on (laughs) and like just rescuing more dogs and spending more time knitting baby blankets for all the people who keep getting pregnant everywhere. That happens a lot. Yeah. Do you, so, okay. So with that in mind, you know, you said off the top, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm aware I'm not a movie star. I'm doing air quotes for listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like the ideal career to me, though, because it's like you've steadily worked. All of the stuff you've yeah. done has been well received. It's like you're. It seems you're incredibly respected by your peers, and you know, do you see it that way, or are you like, oh, I, you know, I'd like to be the lead in this big blockbuster, or like, how do you frame it in your own mind? Um, in my mind, it's all about opportunity. It's not about anymore. Of course, when I was younger, um, I mean, thank God when we started, when I started in this business, it, it like wasn't a social media tornado like we have today so i had a much more normal beginning to my career i think than actors and actresses starting out now do like there's just so much pressure on your social media that like people are getting cast in movies because they're social media stars and so that can be problematic for lots of reasons i won't get into but one being because usually they can't act but um also by the way i love your honesty this is amazing by the way but um but they can learn and people can learn to act i learned to act so i'm saying like yes they they maybe can't as much as a studio they're jumping the line though a bit um a bit but hey you know what it's like the this is a rough career. So if you're good at it and you work hard at it, you will find success. I think like anything else, the 10,000 hours, like Malcolm Gladwell thing, like you keep at it, you fucking keep at it and you will get success and you will feel proud of yourself and get good jobs. As far as being a movie star is concerned, your question, it is hard to sometimes get the roles that I would like because I don't have a like a certain level of let's say foreign value i talk about it in my book a little bit so now it's interesting when i started out like almost 20 years ago it was like you uh could be me starting out and you could do independent movies and you could go to sundance and then you could get more jobs and yada 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 and now like you know we've just seen the change in the business like so much even since the writer's strike in the recession in 2008 like when then movie stars started doing television shows and movie stars started doing independent film. And those were places where people starting out could really break out. You get a pilot, all of a sudden you're a star. You do an independent movie that's the Toast of Sundance or TIFF, I should say TIFF. And then all (laughs) of a sudden you're a star. And so those things are happening less and less because, you know, the opportunities aren't as like people are less willing to take a gamble on a new talent. And so in that way, it is better to be a little more famous and to have more cachet and to have 
a little more something business wise so that you can get cast in this great role. Like I do lose roles to famous people because, you know, like they can sell the movie to a distributor in China more than I can, you know. And then if you want to get involved in this conversation about men versus women, I also kind of wonder, like, if I was a dude and I had the resume that I have, that you look up on IMDb, like, what would my career look like then? What would my paychecks look like then? What kind of roles would I be getting then based on what I have to show for myself? Because, you know, I work my dick off and I like love what I do and I hope I get to do it forever. But like, uh, an actor, a male actor in a similar situation as me, like, are they still pushing so hard? Like, are they getting roles because, you know, even without having like a little bit more notoriety, I don't really know. I think about it sometimes. It's obviously. a fascinating thought. And I think it's a legitimate thought. Like you're saying, you know, like a man with the credits that you have. Right. You know, they're they're the lead in an HBO show or right. they're getting a fi- some gritty film and they're going to, you right. know, they'll get those things. And why aren't those opportunities happening um, for you? And I think, you know, again, I don't want to sound... Because I am so grateful and I think like what I do and what I get to do is so amazing and each year seems to be better than the next. So I'm not really complaining, but there's been so much talk, obviously, in the last year after um, the Me Too and Time's Up campaigns have begun um, about this. So it's hard to like not really bring it up, even though I've been like, I hope no one asks me about it. And then you didn't. And then I did. So there. But I'm glad you spoke about it. You're (laughs) welcome. Maybe you would have anyway. <laughs> no, but uh, honestly, it's like, I, I'm glad that you brought it up. And I'd, I'd rather in any conversation that it goes where it goes. And it's like, but do you, when you go into press or have a conversation, are you like, oh, I hope they don't go there. I hope they don't go there. Or do you, are you a pretty open person when it comes to that stuff? I'm pretty open. I just don't always think I have like um, a grasp of the uh, English language in a way that <laughs> like I can do press for uh, like Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. And sure. if you're doing that, let her talk because she is wicked smart and fast and she knows like she'll just say it in a better and quicker way. That's funny. And I'm usually like, um, well, I just it's not like fair and like, um, OK. <laughs> Last year, actually, we had uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride on and oh. they were literally they were kind of like, oh, yeah, we're doing this Halloween thing. And, and here I am. Here you are. I know. Um, this is our one year anniversary. I met David Gordon Green at TIFF last year. Really? So thanks, TIFF. Thanks, TIFF. You still need a better hotel. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask about this movie because, again, I watched it last night and everybody was so good in it and you directed it. I and... totally directed it. Well, this is that's I a crazy I directed the shit out of it. <laughs> you did. And it's like a fucking stacked cast. I know. That was crazy. I Honestly. Was crazy. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is, that you're doing Everyone it. said yes. The first two people who said yes to me were Jennifer Garner and Common. Common, I think, first. Although it was, it was sort of like a simultaneous ask. Like, I had coffee with Common, and, like, Jen is my friend, so I just emailed her. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, then... Uh, and it, it's a huge compliment to me that all these people said they would do it. But Seriously. also, I mean, when you get Jennifer Garner in Common to say they'll do your movie... It's like you need the first two, and then... Yeah. There's a term I'm probably not supposed to say. It might be a Hollywood secret. It's called actor bait. <laughs> like, when you're putting together a movie, like an indie movie, you need some actor bait. Like, you need one... One piece of it has to attract the good... Like, the actor 
whether that piece is a, a, a known producer, a known writer, a known director, like what is the piece the of commodity, a star? the known commodity. Yes, yeah. the known thing that then attracts the great talent. Yeah. So I had Common and Jennifer Garner. And what I, and you know, I think my script is amazing, but Gary Lundy, who wrote it and did such an amazing job, like people didn't know who he was sure. at the time. So hopefully they will after this. And you know, so that so you can read the greatest script in the world, but maybe you're like, but who of else course. is doing it? I mean, do you want to be at the party first? How many times have you gone to a nightclub and there's a line outside and you get in and no one's inside and you're like, fuck you, man. <laughs> I waited in the cold yeah, yeah. for an hour for this. So it's like, it's even kind of like a party. Like, it's like oh, who's going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of you know, course. But, I know. you know, if it's going to be a good time. It's okay. Just I'm into playing the game. I get it. Well, this is what's coming across to me a lot is how cognizant you are of sort of the business side of the whole machine, you know, because sometimes actors are like, I focus on my job and, and I act. And, and I do. But when I'm directing a movie, like, you know, I, I was, I, I worked on this TV show called Married with Nat Faxon and, and Nat um, had directed The Way Way Back, which is a movie I loved. And I watched it several times prepping for my movie. And that did help me with my movie. Um, but uh, And he was in it, too. But um, but I remember doing Married with Nat after The Way Way Back and thinking, like, is this guy going to be annoying on set because he's a director? And he's going to be, like, mm, like giving looks at, like, the camera angles and shit. <laughs> and, 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 and then when I asked him about it, he's like, oh, God, I just... I just love being an actor on set. It's so great. You just sit here, read the paper, take a nap. And I'm like, yes. After directing my movie, I am like, yes, I am thrilled. All I worry about is my little part. I don't have to use all the parts of my brain that I did as a director. So I have to say that like after directing, like it's made acting a little bit like more chill. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Well, I'm getting the wrap it up. What? Already? I know. We didn't even talk about... uh... Kidding. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. Okay. So, yes. Here's my kidding question. Uh, Yeah. Jim Carrey is a Canadian national treasure. Had you known him well before you started working with him? No. I never met him until uh, we did a camera test day with, like, hair, makeup stuff. That was then. And that was the first time I met him. And I was so nervous to meet him because I didn't know what to expect. And he's such a big star and uh, people talk. And um, what do you mean people talk? You know what I mean? I know. And um, (laughs) and so like I just couldn't love him any more. Interesting. Hopefully I'll get a second season and I can come back and talk to you and say, I love him even more than when I met you the first time. I love him so much that, um, I love acting with him. I love the music he plays in the hair makeup trailer when he's getting ready. You're going to ask. So band of horses and Ray LaMontagne were two favorites. (laughs) Um, I'm a huge band of horses fan. Um, and, and, and I loved his energy. I loved how passionate he was about the project and about doing well and his performance. And then the whole thing as a whole and the look of it and the feel of it. And he's kind and, and, and the only thing I would say bad about him which I also kind of loved is that he's very hard on himself and, and he wants, he wants every scene to be perfect. And, and I love that, but it always, it always made me want to just like give him a big hug all the time. And it's not like he's always like that. Just like some, you know, in the show we have some really diggy scenes Yeah, and he's just so committed and so professional. And I never even ever saw him look at a line which I'm always like carrying my sides around because I'm like, wait, what's my line? How do you memorize your lines that well? It's a lot of lines. So many. 
I mean, especially him. I, uh, I well, have no excuse. I had a million other questions about directing and choices you made because, again, I, I watched the film and all the best with it. Thank you. We tried to make it for a while and we finally did it. And then it's been done for a minute and now it's coming out. And I just feel so lucky. And I feel like as an actor doing a lot of indie films, like it was really important to me that this movie come out in theaters because I really wanted to do that for my actors. I wanted it to have a theatrical release because that's important and it makes you feel like... I don't know. It made me feel like I they gave me so much of their time yeah. and their energy and that I can give something back to them and say, like, our movie is coming out. It will be in a theater. Maybe not in a city that everyone lives in, but <laughs> at least it's it's coming out. It'll be coming out. And yeah. you got juice. You got a mad cast. So Yeah, seriously. Says everyone about you. suck it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks. Cheers. So how you been? Been really good. Great. Do you spend a lot of time in Toronto? I've never been in Toronto. It's my Get first out. time. Yeah. How long have you been in town? Uh, what time is it? <laughs> I think we're at one o'clock. <laughs> about about uh, twenty hours. Oh man. Yeah, I love it. I, I when I was landing, I, I texted my wife. I said I, I could live here. It's very clean and very pretty. <laughs> I do live here, and it's uh, it is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I do love this city. Um, you're in LA full time. Are you from LA originally? No, I'm from New York originally. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you feel going east to west? Everyone always is like, "Oh, once you go west, you're not coming back." But. I mean, the weather is beautiful, and uh, but uh, it's it's just weird. Um, there's no seasons. Yeah. You know, so your memory is is gets kind of screwed up because every day is just one <laughs> continuous day of 72 degree weather yeah how do you remember christmas from you know or whatever the holidays in general yeah you know, that, that's how you measure time exactly if, if there are christmas lights on or off in your on your house otherwise i have no way to measure Who knows? the last 12 years yeah it reminds me of like at the start of almost famous it, it opens at christmas time with like i think that cr- the chipmunks christmas song and they're just yeah. driving through la but the, the weather's beautiful yeah and for you know people that grew up on the east coast you're just going huh it yeah, my, my wife and I are both from the East Coast, and, and it took a while to acclimate to to that. But it's like it's like living in a Corona commercial, you know. There's, sure, there's, there's palm trees and, and Christmas lights. And, yeah, it's good living. How do you find the people? I mean, you choose the people you want to hang out with, and I, I, I choose other East well, Coast transplants. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, I've got a friend that lives at, lives down there. Actually, he's actually writing for a, a TV show. Oh, cool! Uh, right now, which um, show? Um, happy. What's the, what's the Harry Styles movie uh, TV show based on him? It's with Damon Wayans Jr. Oh man, I'm blanking on the name, and he's going to kill me. It's brand new, though, right? It's brand new. Yeah, I, Tim McAuliffe is is, yeah. is running it. Yeah, yeah. Happiness, happy together, happy together. There you that's go. It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. So anyway, but whenever whenever I go down there, it's always just a bunch of Canadians hanging out or other people. That yeah, we're, we're still very clickish, even in our thirties. We. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I kind of wanted to get to. Uh, you've been writing for a while now for television. I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such. I mean. I don't want to say it's an unconventional career, but I think it's it's a hard career to make a living in and to make money at, especially the the, the dramedy side of things, <laughs> right? So, how do you get into it, and, and and like, was it fairly quick for you to to get paid doing that kind of gig? I mean, it's, it, I, I started as a playwright, um, which basically meant I started writing plays and waiting for theaters to respond to me, <laughs> and uh, I did that for about two weeks <laughs> okay so you were <laughs> after, into it <laughs> after graduating college and uh and i was working I, and I went out to la for about for um to visit my uh two uncles who are tv directors longtime tv directors and, okay so you kind of had uh, some showbiz in the family oh yeah yeah I, I grew up sort of idolizing uh my two uncles who directed everything from nypd blue to monk to oh man you know, and, and they were just so cool what you did know? your parents do my my, my dad uh, uh 
uh, was the CEO of WebMD. <laughs> okay, I'm familiar with their work. <laughs> and uh, and my, my mom um, was a marketing consultant. They're both I've met in advertising and and, sure. uh, and were great. But my my uncles were TV guys, and I used to go out to LA and just think they were the coolest, you know. And yeah. and, and they were from Texas. They were very low key, and they weren't Hollywood. And uh, while I was sort of waiting for my theater career to take off, I went out and just spent two weeks, like hanging out on set and 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 kind of getting the, the 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 gist of things. And then uh, a PA job opened up on one of these shows, and uh, I was like, "Well, you know, I I think I'm a playwright. I, I don't know if I should take a a paying job. That seems kind of <laughs> against the grain." I'm a PW, not a PA. <laughs> exactly. So I. Uh, <laughs> I uh, did that, and uh, that became, uh, you know, um, 13 years of, of living in L.A. Uh, did you PA that whole time? No, I, I PA'd, um, so I was a PA on uh, this show called Teachers. I was on NBC for about two seconds okay. and uh, starred Justin Bartha. Uh, and uh, I, I just, I was like, I'm, I went to college, I'm driving a van, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm driving documents from point A to point B. I feel kind of useless and um i was still writing plays and, uh, and they were getting done and and uh when, like were they being performed or yeah yeah they were being produced oh, so, and, and, okay uh, so stuff was getting yeah stuff was, stuff was happening it just yep. um it, it was um but i was living in la because because that's where where um my actual paycheck was coming from yeah and uh and then i worked on um uh my uncle uh craig directed uh was directing weeds yeah and um he said uh you know there's a job opening up in the uh production office as a PA, as an office PA. And I was like, well, should I take it? I mean, it's weird if we're working at the same place. And like, thank God I took that job because it was the rest of my career. Yeah. Um, I was a PA on Weeds. And uh, the long story short is I had a play in New York. Um, and uh, Genji Cohen, who created the show and created Orange is New Black and, and is sort of my my second mom and, and mentor. Um, she uh, was, in the, is in, was in New York for the New Yorker Festival and saw the play. And we had a nice little sit down. And she said you know, um, would you want to write a freelance episode of the show? Um, which basically meant I, I uh, uh, would, would not be on staff officially, but I could write an episode of the show. And uh, Do you get, do they pay you for that up front or do they pay you if they like it? Oh, they, they pay you for the, I mean, it was, there was a commitment for me to write an episode of the show. But and, they, uh, they could use it, they might not, but you got paid to write that episode. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And they were definitely going to use it, whether or not it, it was the original uh, script I wrote or my oh, name on it. It'd go into the writer's room. And... Oh, yeah. And, and I was in the writer's room gotcha. um, um, for all that. And, uh, oh, cool. And um, I did that for two years. I freelanced and then I did, got a staff job on the show. Um, and, uh, that show was like grad school for me. I mean, it was seven, sure. seven years. It was some of the greatest writers I've ever worked with all, a lot of playwrights and a lot of people who went from that show and created terrific shows of their own, uh, glow, uh, you're the worst, the brink on HBO. I mean, all, all these writers came out of that room and, and did really cool things. And, uh, um, it was a great place to sort of start. Was it a close room? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was eight of us by the end and, and, uh, it was, a, it was a great room. Everyone was, um, you know, family. Yeah. yeah. When you got, you know, asked to do that uh, freelance script based on the play that you had done in New York, did that feel like finally, like this is a break that I was kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, you're doing this PA stuff, you know, in the room and you're kind of thinking, when, when am I going to get my shot here? On this? Well, you know, when, when you're starting out as a writer, you want to, your first goal is to sell something or to get paid to write. And that means a lot of times you try to write things that you think other people will like. Ah. You know, you, you're like, what will sell? What will someone, what feels like, like, should I write a multi-camera spec script? Because I really just want to work on any show, even if it's a show I don't feel I don't uh, close to, like Two and a Half Men or The Big Bang Theory. Maybe I, I, I don't want to write on those kind of shows, but I feel like I have to write 
a sample so that I have that out there. I think you spend a lot of time writing things um, for other people because you think it'll get you work. And um, I, I, I'm a, a pretty dark writer and like a, 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 I don't have like a mainstream. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind, kind of weird. And, and, I, and I've always... I've seen the first two episodes of Kate. Yeah, great. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I, get, I get what you're saying. You know, and like my, my agent was like always like, you know, it only takes one person to get... It only takes one, one channel like to want to tune into your work, you know? Interesting. And like, stop trying to write for every channel. Stop, just write for your own channel, and and that weirdly ended up being Showtime, <laughs> um, you know, which which I've worked on nine seasons of shows there. But but I bring that up because Genji was to me like the the one person I needed to really understand and like what I was doing, because in the end, all you need as a writer is one other writer to like your work. Yeah. And that person will open doors for you, and that's what Genji did. And and uh, and she was dark and funny, and I was trying to be dark and funny, and and uh, we got along and. You know, it, it was. It felt like you were you were writing something uh, um, that one person who you really respected got. Yeah, and that was a, that was a big day. Well, it's interesting the idea that you know you're saying you know you're going to try to write something a little more populous and you know because you get work and all that. But they say, or there's that great saying, and I don't know who it's attributed to, but it's like you find the universal and the specific. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if you write to sort of something that maybe feels niche or personal to you. It might be universal, even though it's like, oh, I would never be in a shootout. But it's like maybe what that person's going through is relatable in some weird way. Yeah, it's like they say, write what you know. And, yeah. and I always say it's kind of like that. But I think it's more write only the stories you can tell, mm. you know. So it's not like I know a lot about skateboarding. I should write about skateboarding. It's I, I know what it's like to be an underdog. So I could maybe write a movie about skiing, even though I, I don't know anything about skiing. But I know how to write the underdog portion of that story. Yeah. I, I think that's where... A lot of it comes from. How long did you have uh, kidding in the back pocket? I went to look this up the other night because I wanted to see, because it was a long, long road sure. with that script. And um, I know that I'd written the first draft in 2013 okay. um, because there was a blockbuster reference in the first draft <laughs> of the script. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then I looked in the, in the folder, uh, the kidding folder on my computer, and the first notes file I had was from 2010. It was like February 2010. Wow. And um, it's just weird how long something kind of lives in your head. And because and, it was that script for me that was like, I wrote it on spec just from myself. Like I wrote it as a sample of if I had, wasn't writing something for anybody else but myself with no expectations but my own, what thing would I write? And I wrote this thing that basically just got me a lot of work because it was a calling card, you know, but it wasn't meant to be commercial or it was, wasn't meant to... Um, be pitched to a network executive. So you never thought it would get made? Not really. I mean, I, I, it, because it, you know, you kind of feel like after you write something, you turn in your agents, there's like a couple weeks go by when you understand how people respond to it. Yeah. And if that means, and, and what the general response is. And to me, the response was, we really love the script and the writing and this will get you work on shows, but as its own show, it doesn't feel like something we understand. And I got that because it, I was trying to do something really different that was hard to explain to people. And when you talk to executives or producers, they try to, whenever you try to pitch something to someone, they're trying to attach it to something they already know out there. You know, so like because it was about a children's TV performer, executives would go, oh, it's Greg the Bunny. Mm. Which which was a, a a sitcom with a talking pup, a foul mouth puppet, yeah, right? yeah which is yeah. like not at all what the show. That's is. That's not you a know? comp at all. But they no, always want to find them. And 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 Netflix was like, we already have Master of None, which is about an entertainer. And I was like, 
A, I don't think of Master Don and think it's about an entertainer. <laughs> but, but B, which is one of my favorite shows, but also like I don't think uh, our show is about like an entertainer. So, you know, it was hard to sort of give it the elevator pitch. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think Tom Stoppard has this great line about playwriting where he's like, if you can describe your play in one sentence, it's not a play. <laughs> you know? And I think that I found that was true a lot with Kidding was I knew how to, um, I wanted you to read the script so you understood it. And I wanted you to read the Bible I'd written, which was like a 14 page. Here's the series. Just so you know, I'm not crazy. It's going to be different. It's going to be um, its own specific tone, which is something that Genji really instilled in me, which was, you know, screw tone. Um, and uh, and uh, and then we, we had a long journey with it through various actors and various... Uh, ups and downs and, and I mean everybody who, who said who who could have said no to this project did say no to this project and yet it still got made and and but my, my lesson there was just don't listen to people yeah <laughs> you know well going back just a, a little bit yeah. uh, for young writers like listening how, you know say someone's like oh I want to go to LA and I want to be a writer Did, yeah. is the process of finding an agent the first step or is the process of writing a bunch of stuff and then getting the agent the agent pitches or do you just like how does one do it what's the process it's a, it's a great question um, and when I was out there my goal was to get an agent and I think that that was a little wrong because what you, they don't really tell you is that writers hire writers agents don't hire writers agents will connect you to writers who will then hire you but in the end, um, writing a great script and continuing to write until you have something that's gaining some traction um, is the first thing to do, is just write, write, write. And then, um, frankly, getting it to a writer who can understand you, and they'll get you an agent. I mean, a, a, any writer who reads a great script will be like, oh, just give this to my agent because I want to look good. And frankly, any great script, think about a, a town where most people are not really talented. Right. So what they want to do is they want to take some great piece of art someone else has done and make as much money off it as they can with as little work as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if you're a writer and everything starts with you and you've written a really good script, that script, regardless of if you're a horrible person or you're a nice person or you're good to work with, that script, someone will want to take that script and, and make, make themselves look good, show it to their boss, show it to... So a good script kind of leads the way. Interesting. You know, and, and so I think if you have a... A, a really good script or a script that stands out, um, it, it really does a lot of the work for you. So can you skip the agent? How do you get the, Sure, yeah. So how does that paper, how do those pages get in the hands of the people that, like you said, want to show other people? I mean, I always found, I mean, everyone has a different experience. I, mean, I, I went to school with a lot of um, people who came out to LA and worked as assistants and worked, you know, and, and there's always, um, you know, people wanting to show somebody, uh, uh, a good script, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I always found that, that the friends of mine who worked as writer's assistants, who worked for, for writers, um, those were the, 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 the friends who could help you the most cause they could really show your script to somebody who, you know, um, could actually give you a job. Yeah. Um, we just had a great, uh, a great example as, um, our writer's assistant on, uh, kidding this year. Um, Katie Delaney, who's a great writer. Um, uh, wrote, uh, uh, I knew she was a writer, I knew she had scripts, and um, one of our other uh, writers on the show, uh, Cody Heller, um, is dating Dan Harmon, who created Rick oh, sure. and Morty, yeah. and, um, and Cody, and they, they, were, they were hiring on Rick and Morty, and, and uh, Cody gave Katie's script to Dan, and, 
and took her name off it so that she'd have an equal, you know, chance in the process. And Katie got hired on Rick and Morty season one. Wow. You know, no agent, no, and then of course you got an agent right away because they all just want 10%. Once you get the work, they want that. Of course. But, but I think that was a good example of someone who's a really good writer, um, who just needed, um, uh, a little connective tissue to someone who could hire her. Yeah. You know, so going back to kidding, you say, you know, it was a long process uh, to get this thing going and to see it in its current form. Yeah. Even though, like you said, everyone that could maybe pass or say no said no. You end up with Jim Carrey, who is obviously that name is universal yeah. in so many ways and a part of so many of our childhoods. And it is what it is. He's kind of like this, a star in the sort of the true sense, but also in this interesting point in his life. You know what I mean? Where I'm not going to say he mirrors the character at all, but I mean, there's something very interesting about that from your point of view as a guy that's created this show and you're seeing your vision come to fruition. When you hear you're getting Jim, what are you thinking? How are you framing it? How are you like, fuck man, like this is happening. Well, you have to realize that when I wrote this in 2013, I wrote it with Jim in mind. Yeah. So it was very bizarre to shoot for the moon, go through the process of getting passed on by a bunch of other actors who shall remain nameless. I know. Uh, it's so funny that uh, that's like the etiquette thing, but it's like, I you know, always want to know. And it's more like, it's more for them. It's more that I, I just don't want to make them look. So like, off mic, you, know. you can give me Absolutely. a list. Uh, nice. uh, but, like but, uh, you know, I mean, you go through that process of, well, Jim is the high watermark, but he's clearly not going to say yes. You go to everybody else you can. But in the back of your mind, you tailored it for Jim. I mean, like I wrote it after watching The Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine. I wanted that guy. Yeah. And I wrote it for his skill set. Um, and then to actually have him say yes at the end of all that was extraordinary. Did you try him first? We were told he would never do television. Don't even bother. You Interesting. Know? And... uh then what I did was I uh, was uh, the show had been sold to Showtime, Showtime, um, but we didn't have an actor attached to it. And Showtime had a new show coming out called "I'm Dying" up here yeah. that Jim was producing. And I was like, "Well, if I apply to write on that show, he's going to have to read that script." And that that did help because he I did I got the job and he did read it and he did really love the script, which was a crazy day to have Jim Carrey pull you out of a room and say. Hey, I read your script. It's like the thing I've been waiting to read my whole life. It was something like that. I mean, yeah, man. What a moment, I, I, uh, though. I, I, was, I was definitely deaf to the room whenever he opened his mouth after that, that point. But, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you knew he liked it. And, um, and but, what just, is, but that even is such a savvy way to go, okay, he's got the show he's producing. How do I slip in there and write one of these episodes yeah, so totally. that I can get close to him? To like That in and of itself is sort of like a ingenious sort of way to sort of backdoor your I'm very yourself. conniving I, 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 uh, I, I you know I just it's like you have this this script that follows you around that no matter where you go someone says I, I, you know, I read that script you was kidding I loved it and I was like thanks and what's going on with it I'm like nothing you know yeah. like you just know that like it's kind of up to you to believe in the in yourself and like also what don't let other people tell you that you did good work like I knew that was good work and I knew it was good enough to, to attract a good actor, a good director, and enough to get on television, you know? And I just kind of didn't let the nose end it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and having Jim actually, you know, the first day of shooting on the pilot was like, until we hit record on that camera, like, this isn't happening. Do you have <laughs> yeah. that sort of, like, inherent, like, this will fall apart, this will fall apart, and then once it's on, it's like, now it's really happening. Oh, yeah, I'm still having that. We haven't aired all the episodes yet. I'm still, I'm still when all the episodes have aired, and you can binge this thing on whatever app you choose, yeah. uh, then I will feel like we're done, <laughs> and I can go to bed. Was there anything, 
I mean, so with Jim Carrey, you're going to have a preconceived notion of, of who he is. And we were just talking to Judy Greer. And then you're going to meet the person and you're going to sort of interact. Was there anything that surprised you that might surprise people? Did he, did he sort of like exceed your preconceived notions? Was it completely different or was it about what you thought? Yeah, I mean, it's it was definitely you know you don't know someone until you meet them and, and you sure. see you see them in, in in four dimensions. I mean, you, you really get to sit in the guy's living room and 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 understand what makes him happy and sad and and and, and human, you know. And, and I think that understanding also what somebody wants to say at this point in their life, um, you know, what they want to do, what, what, why they want to be a part of the project, what are they passionate about? I mean, you want to ask those questions because you want to write things that engage them. And that make them want to come to work, you know. And so, I I knew I had a uh, sort of a rough character arc of the of the character of the, of the of the story, but I also really wanted to know what would be really cool structurally. What what kind of weird stuff does Jim want to do, and how can I incorporate that in a show that you know Jim like me gets bored very easily. Hmm. And I knew that he wouldn't want to come to work unless we were doing something that had never been done before, or at least aiming for that mark, you know? And so first day in the writer's room, you're sitting around a table with, with, with eight terrific writers. You've been, you're, you're, you're telling them by the way, and they don't know who's, who's casting it yet other than Jim. And you say, look, we have Jim Carrey, we have Frank Langella, we have Judy Greer, we have Catherine Keener, and Michelle Gondry is going to direct six episodes. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. That's its own thing. It's its own thing. Yeah. So you, you, you look at this room of people, and I, I didn't hire a traditional TV writer because I didn't want to fall into a rhythm. And I said, we really need to try to take this opportunity to make something risky and to make something that we really haven't seen before. Because if we just turn in 10 episodes of rote domestic storytelling like uh, we're going to have wasted this thing and so you know we we worked a lot in establishing a very specific tone where there's a little bit of magic but it's all emotionally grounded mm -hmm. like i'm not like a dream sequence for dream sequence purpose kind of guy like i don't do it for dream for, for dream's sake like i never want it to be and that doesn't that's not reality like everything has this weird um whenever we do sort of go into gondry land like it is rooted in uh you know um uh, uh, emotions and feelings and making a comedy that makes you feel something felt like yeah. a goal. You know? I guess lastly, this is a process question as we're getting wrapped up. Um, you know, you created this show and this is your first time really sort of doing a show that you've created. Sure. So uh, I guess my question is, would be how much control do you need to have? Or are you able to sort of give over control? Like I, specifically in the second episode, this is a great shot um, between the two houses where Jim's going oh, up yeah, the stairs yeah. and we're tracking back and forth. Mm -hmm. First of all, was that a set or was that actually two houses side by side? So we built two houses side by side on a set. So that wide is the, those two houses are built and then oh, the, the, the exterior are actually two real. houses. We, we discovered that are the, the mirror images of each other. Interesting. Yeah. And it, then we built on set the inside. So for shots like that or when, you know, Michelle's doing his thing or whatever, are you right in there? Or are you sort of like, no, I'm sort of like, I'm more overseeing the story and how this is going to connect. Or are you in there making decisions and, and casting choices and all that? It's both. I mean, you know, that shot is written into the script. It was an idea. There of, you go. It's uh, yours, baby. Of, uh, I mean, look, the, the, <laughs> the shot and the idea was inspired by uh, Jacques Tati's movie, um, Monon. And, okay. uh, and one of our writers, Joey Mazzarino, had this great idea for that shot. And so you write that shot in. And then um, you, and you know, I, I'm a big part of casting and I'm, I'm show running, I'm there. But you also want to create an environment where you're letting people do their best work. And so at that point, you talk to Michelle about what your goal is about the shot, you pitch him the shot, 
and then at that point you have to let go and let Michelle do his thing because that's how people work the best. You know, I'm not going to be over his shoulder pointing out things. I mean, I definitely for story's sake will be like, I think we need to see more of the eggs in this shot because those eggs come back later, you know, or stuff like Did that. So you have those notes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm, I'm there with them, but like, I no way am I going to step in front of Michelle Gondry between him and the camera and say, this is, you know, what we need. You, you want people to, to, and, and the same goes for performances. I mean, you want, to create a world that lets them do their job best. It empowers know? everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. I got to let you go on to the next interview. Yeah. So I yeah. appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Cheers. Welcome to the dessert. We are here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And Shane, we have a guest today in the studio, so I'm just going to let you take it away. We do, but before we get to the guest, I'm just going to <laughs> explain what's going on here. That will be helpful for me, too, since I literally just walked in here. You don't know what we're going to talk about right now, but you do know kind of the backstory once I explain it. So it's you and I have the same hairdresser. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I actually introduced you to the hairdresser. You did. That, thank you for that, because he's the best. I'll, I'll, I'll never leave him. His name is Tenzin. Should we plug him? Yeah, Tenzin. He's great. Chevello here on Queen Chevello Street in Toronto. Tenzin. Yeah. yeah. I think there's only one tens in there, so you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of tens in. Anyway, I've been bragging for the last little while to my wife about how thick and luxurious my hair is. In fact, I always show my wife my hairline. I'm like, look at this. I'm like, I'm never going bald. And because we just we had a child six months ago, and I was just bragging how good her hair is going to be. And uh, I went in to get my hair cut, and I was telling my my hairdresser, is that what you call him? Or is it barber? For stylist, hairdresser, my yeah. stylist. Let's tell my hairstylist <laughs> how thick my hair is, and he's just staying quiet all this time. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And, and so I'm trying to make some more small talk. I'm like, yeah, you cut my buddy uh, Mike's hair. He's like, Mike has thick hair. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, where were you when I was bragging about my own hair? Because he's just dead silent. He's like, oh, he's like, you have fine hair. And I was like, fine as in like, fine, it's okay, or as fine as like thinning? It He's could like, have been like, fine, like, yeah, damn fine. fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he didn't seem like that type of person to use slang like that. Right. So I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, your hair's like mine, he said. And I was like, okay, his hair looked okay. And then after that, I started noticing hair on my pillow. And I was waking up every day, and I'm like, I'm balding. And now I'm obsessed with the fact that I'm balding in fact we did a live show and i kind of opened up the show with the fact that i'm balding and, and, <laughs> and you're disco yeah at the live show you said you were discovering hair on your pillow and you were concerned and you th and it was stressful because it was leading up to the show well i read i read a text that my wife sent me to kind of put my mind at ease and she was saying <laughs> that uh don't worry it's just stress you're not balding you just need to eat more vegetables she said <laughs> And then we shot, like, I've been fairly obsessed with this. In fact, we just shot a show for Crave TV. And the first episode, I bring up the fact that I'm balding in that also. But the guys were telling me when we shot for Crave, they're like, Shane, you're not balding. Trust me. It looked good. But I'm not sure because sometimes I look and I'm, uh, this this type of balding is the sneaky type, right? The crowning. So I thought I... <laughs> you like done research? <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> like you're using terms. <laughs> Maybe that's what it's called when a baby comes out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I figured I would talk to the experts. So I contacted the Sure Hair, sure hair Clinic. Talk on the mic. Sure Hair. Sure okay. Hair Clinic. Oh, okay. Sure Hair International. So Nicole works for Sure Hair. <laughs> well, hello. 
Welcome, Nicole. Uh, Thank you very much. To our podcast. This is amazing, first of all, just because I, I was coveted uh, to, to do this dessert, and you're like, Nicole's here. I'm like, oh, who's Nicole? You're like, you'll see. <laughs> so Nicole is here because you believe that this is going down. You are starting to lose your hair, Shane. I don't know. I want it settled because I feel like I might have hair dysmorphia, <laughs> where I think I'm balding and I'm not, because I'm the type, I'm either too confident or too insecure. And there's no middle ground with me. This is totally normal. Absolutely. For a man to feel that way. Yeah. Like people obsess. It's, I see it every single day. What's more common do you think a man thinking he's not balding or a man paranoid thinking he is balding? Um, thinking he is balding for sure. Yeah. And then then it turns out he's not. Uh, not necessarily. Mm. Okay. First of all, Nicole, how long have you been in the hair business? Uh, five years. Five years. Yes. Okay. So you've seen a lot of uh, men and women, I imagine, men who are losing women. their hair. Yeah, absolutely. And they come in with concerns very similar to what Shane's going through right now. This is exactly what they come in yeah. as. Yeah. They usually call me and they're like, I'm not even sure if I'm losing my hair, but you know, my hairdresser said something. My wife said something. Mm. It's always like that. Because... People do lose their hair at the front, but also on the crown. So crown, nice. You right. use the right ah. term. Is it called crowning? N- no, no, but that's when crown. a baby comes out the uh, loss on the crown. There. Yeah, yeah. But I am wearing a hat right now. Everybody does too. I always have to tell everyone to take their hat off when they oh. walk into my office. Almost every time. You think that does directly lead to hair losses? No. Uh, hats lead to bald guys wearing them, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's not necessarily that, that that wearing hats cause baldness. It's just that bald guys tend to wear hats. Yeah, exactly. baldness causes hats. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken and egg, baby. So, what came first? Yeah, here's two things I'm looking to get out of this. One, am I in fact going bald? Two, what hair type do I have? But I'm going to take my hat off. So I'm maybe she nervous. checks your hair, and then yeah. you can have your questions okay. after the diagnosis. So show me, show me your hair. Wow, this okay. is intense. Da, da, da. Okay. Okay. Is there any way? Do you need both hands to check it? Um, I can try to hold it. I can hold the mic at your mouth. So maybe you can talk us through Shane's thing while I'm holding the mic at your mouth. I heard a big sigh just be let so, out. So, don't worry, don't worry, all is well. So, with most men, they lose hair on the top of their head. Mm-hmm. You guys have seen the, the good old horseshoe along the oh, sides. No. So that hair. I, I refer to it as the Jean Luc Picard. <laughs> oh, he's awesome, but yes, true. Um, but that hair will never fall out ever. You'll have it forever. You the part around that. my ears and yes, the back of my neck. Exactly. I'm never going to lose that hair. No, that will be there forever. But the top is where you start to notice hair loss. And looking at your hair, like you, I wouldn't necessarily call you fine-haired, per se. You might have a little bit of product still kind of in your hair, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's not like super, super fine. It's not the thickest I've ever seen. Right. Sorry. A little dead. <laughs> Um, your hairline is actually quite good. That's what I'm always bragging about. Yeah, you, you do. You should con- con- continue to brag. It's, it's good. Like it's not receding at all, is it really? Well, you're receding in a natural way. Oh, okay. It's not like, <laughs> you, yeah, you're, you're I'm receding, receding totally naturally. naturally. Everybody recedes. Everybody. Okay. Like men, women, slightly, but, um, But over, like I'm probably better than the typical 35 year old on the receding front. Yes. Oh, for sure. You're killing it. So if you had to categorize my hair type, what would you say it is? Um, I wouldn't. I'd say medium. It's not fine, but it's not coarse. Okay. And what is the best hair type? Coarse? Coarse just means that like the diameter of your hairs are super big. Mm-hmm. At fine hair, they're very, very small, very thin. Um, it feels thin all the time. 
Mm-hmm. Like you, one of the big things is like if you can't go a couple of days without washing your hair, yeah. that's usually a good indication that you have fine hair. Like people with coarse hair can go a long time. Oh, no. Yeah. I find I have to wash my hair a lot. Like every day? Yeah. Okay. Because so it just gets greasy. It, then that, that is a, a slight indication that there's something going on. Slight. But with your hairline, your hairline's beautiful. Thank you. Okay? Wow. That's yeah. all I wanted. Yeah. Your hairline's beautiful. But Shane, is this an yeah. actress? <laughs> yeah. Where did you find her? Yeah. Um, but I'm cutting out the part where you said it was receding or however you wanted it. <laughs> but receding yeah. naturally. It's, right. It's, yeah. It's, it is. Everybody recedes. Everybody. Okay. A little bit. Like, an 18-year-old will not have the same hairline as a 50-year-old. That's how mm-hmm. you can tell something weird's going on. Uh, but when hair. I'm 50, I might have a better hairline than some 18-year-old. 100%. Yeah. And the, the best type of hair is thick hair, right? Yeah. Like, like that's the everybody, most... everybody wants thick hair. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't think there's anyone out there that's like, oh, I, I want fine hair. I wish I had Shane's hair, hair yeah. But, <laughs> oh, dear. So give it to me straight. <laughs> Am I balding? So I do kind of see a little bit of thinning on your crown. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only thing. That yeah. was what he suspected. I have, I have a, a question for you. It might be a little personal, but I'm asking about your family history. Oh, for some reason I thought you were going to ask something it's about in, my pubic hair. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not necessary. That's been balding for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. No, I don't know why I went there, but sorry. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, do you have any family history of hair loss? Like, oh, that's not that person. Uh, okay, so in my, the pubes, my, <laughs> my, only in the pubes. My dad has all of his hair. Okay, and uh, my grandpa had all of his hair, and my mom's grandpa or my mom's dad had. Does all Does she his have hair. any brothers? Yeah, she he, she has a brother, and, and he has hair. He yes. has hair too. But his sons are bald. Okay, both bald. That, that the cousins you just forget the cousins. Yeah. They can come from somewhere else. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> odds are, though, at, you're 35. You said. Yep. So at 35, with the amount of hair loss that you're experiencing now, it's minimal to like none. Oh, that's so like, good to hear. It's starting. Like, so mm. when a person loses hair, it just doesn't automatically become bald. Like you go through a process and it's a very long process generally. How long do you give me? That's the funny thing. Everybody asks me that question. They're like, well, how long till I go bald? Just give it to me straight, doc. (laughs) What's the prognosis? Tell me. But the truth is you never know. In all probability, would you say I have a good 15 years left? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, you're for good. sure. Yeah, you're you're good. You're oh, good. that's such a relief. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too worried. Your, your hair is pretty good. It is it is a little bit thinner than your we call it the donor area for mm. like transplants and things like that. But your your crown is a bit thinner than your donor area, and ironically, the top of your head is actually quite thick, like very thick as well. So your front hairline is going to be awesome. That's wicked. yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see anything unusual there. Would you say I'd be a candidate for a hair transplant? No way. Truthfully, you tend to need to have like significant baldness to consider a transplant. If you even have live hair in that area, mm-hmm. you you have potential that you could kill it with a transplant. Right. There are other things that can be done, um, especially for somebody that your has hair as thick as you. It's excellent. It's not, it's hair not as fine bad. as you. Fine. So yeah. So so Tenzin's a bit of a liar. My uh, uh, hairstylist. He. Do you know what? I I respect all the hairstylists out there because they see you on a regular day to day basis. I just saw your. I don't hair know if they will time. anymore. The way the way he's been acting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But in your case, like he sees you regularly. He knows your hair. 
Right. You know your hair as well. I thought I did. I was overconfident. Then I was underconfident. And now I feel like you've brought me to the perfect level where I should be at. You, you know what? It's always a good idea to keep an eye. Mm-hmm. But don't don't obsess. You can lose 100 hairs a day. That's fine. And it's totally natural. Mm-hmm. You need to lose hair. The cycle, it, it's part of growth. You, it falls out Ironic. and it grows again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, did, Mike, did you want to go for a world to see how your hair? Yeah. Or are you feeling uh, not off? I don't know. How, yeah, all right. Let's do it. Let's check it. I, now I'm nervous. I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you have great hair. <laughs> okay. Your front hairline a bit. I, I've noticed that as I've gotten older, just a little bit at the peaks, yeah. more so yeah. than when I was a young. Do you man. have a family history of hair loss? Uh, my my opa, like my grandfather, mm-hmm. bald. My uncle Jeff, bald. My dad still got his head of hair. My mother's side, they all got got hair. hair. Yeah, you're slightly thinning at the front. Okay, that's actually the most common thing. It's like he's the unusual one. Mm. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're saying all in the back, it's... Yeah, some people just lose the back, too. It, that's why I always ask about family history, yeah. because you can look at it as a pattern. But the problem is, you're a combination of your parents. Nice. So it might not necessarily be as bad as, like, the worst-case scenario. In your case, you are just kind of starting to lose the, the front hairline a little bit. It's it's not hugely significant either. Was his hairstyle thick? Is his tension yeah, right on he that? Is, he's coarse. He has coarse, coarse. hair. Mm, that's the desired yeah. look. But in the back, I'm thick, Rick. Yeah, you're, you're, it's beauty. How yeah. long you give me in the front? I don't know. Like, it, it, this, again, it's so hard to to guess like i look at your hair i'm like yeah it looks awesome but sometimes things just speed up you know do you have children no if you were to have a a young boy yeah which hair would you wish your child to have (laughs) mike's or mine of course no i mean so you're pointing at mike right now yeah okay but you know what some people (laughs) might might argue that Mm -hmm. because actually when we start talking about hair loss in general people tend to become more concerned about their front hairline because that's what they see every day. Yeah. It's not their crown that they're freaking out about. It's the front. Mm-hmm. So in theory, doing a transplant at the front tends to be easier. Okay. Hey, great news for the V-man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, what does that cost these days? Oh, you're looking probably around seven grand. Mm. Good yeah. God. And that's, but that's a pretty large surgery. Have I mentioned yeah. that my idol is Jean-Luc Picard? <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm down. I'm a Trekkie. I get it. Yeah. Hey, are, seriously? <laughs> yeah. I All right. <laughs> oh, I said that <laughs> out loud. It's okay. That's good. I'm very, I'm a very open Trekker. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. This is great news for me. Even though I won't be using your services, Mike might be hitting you up in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> but we would like to uh, promote. Sure, hair. Yeah. Um, well, the, the truth is, is that this is a really big problem problem for a lot of people so that being said there is no cure for hair loss so you can't uh grow more hair but you can slow down the process of losing it you'd be surprised we can we can actually grow back some hair wow but again it has to do with expectations of people a lot of people kind of walk into my office and they're like i want hair like when i was 18 years old I think people just want to feel like they did when they're 18. Years. Exactly, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's the truth too. But the the problem is you can't you can't go back that far usually. So there is the ability to regrow some hair, um, increase some density if it's being lost, or prevent it from from disappearing. So if someone's listening right now and they're concerned, yeah, give us a call. Find a find us online. Sure Hair Clinic. Email. Yeah, so it's surehair.com. Right. Okay. 
And is a consultation free? Yes, absolutely. Nice. So I don't really like calling myself a consultant per se. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a hair loss educator. Great. Well, I think uh, we've gotten to the end of this mystery. I'm, <laughs> I'm officially not balding. Uh, you Listen, you could be. Oh. But <laughs> we, we all could be. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Please check out The Pedestal, our new podcast. Add us to Instagram and Twitter on Mike on Much. And that's all. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week. We don't die on the weekend.